Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Progressive News Network on our Sunday show. Well, we have a couple stories today, and we're just going to kind of go through them. It, you know, it, it seems like just when you thought you couldn't find more corruption, and, and bear with me, not just corruption, but more stupidly enacted corruption, then these politicians surprise you again, and they come up with even more stupidly uh, enacted corruption. Now, today, and, and it, this deals with the Missouri governor. I know most of our audience is in Florida, but guess what, fellow progressives? We have a governor here in Missouri that's as big a jackass as DeSantis is. And this is, again, another Republican, Missouri Republican governor, Mike Parson. And we're going to talk about two different stories. So this week, we have Missouri Governor Mike Parson, who was publicly embarrassed that the DESI website that contains the DESI Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, it by law lists all, every teacher's uh, position, their particular uh, certifications and specialties and degrees, as well as their, their pay their pay level. Unfortunately, because the state of Missouri, the DESI was so absolutely incompetent in the source code, the HTML source code, which you could just right click for anyway, there were embedded within the HTML source code every teacher's social security number, which put some 100,000 Missouri teachers at risk of identity theft. So what was Governor Parsons' response to this? Now, this, first of all, this was discovered by a journalist named Josh Renaud with the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Now, those of you in Florida aren't familiar, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch uh, was originally published, published by the Pulitzer family, the same Pulitzer family that funds the Pulitzer Prize. And Mr. Renaud discovered this, and he reported to the state to let them fix the problem before the story broke in the paper. What was Governor Parsons' response? He accused the reporter of hacking, which newsflash it wasn't, and he wants to pursue criminal charges against that journalist and anyone else in the paper who aided and abetted according to him. So, you know, being an ex-teacher, I contacted the Missouri Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, and our DESI commissioner is a woman named Margie Van Dieven. Now, Ms. Van Dieven doesn't answer her own phone, at least not for everyday people like me. But I was given the name and the um, contact information for the communications director, which is a woman named Mallory McGowan. And Ms. McGowan gave me basically a link to an email um, press release, if you will, and that was it. And when I confronted Ms. McGowan further, she really became rather agitated and angry with me. Um, but, you know, that's okay. When, when communication directors display that kind of anger over questions, you know something else. You can pretty much ascertain something else. I won't say you know. That's not fair. So the first story deals with this what can only be called stupidly corrupt Missouri Governor Mike Parson, okay? Again, for 
seeking criminal prosecution of journalist Josh Renaud. And again, Josh Renaud did every teacher in Missouri a big favor. You know, he wrote about this, what is really a major cybersecurity weakness, okay, on the DESI website. Again, DESI, for those of you who don't know, is Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. And at the end of the day, this looks like some serious misconduct in terms of wanting to prosecute the journalist, but serious misconduct on the part of Governor Parson for two reasons. One, in terms of pursuing what can only be called a political prosecution, which lacks any factual merit, and we'll get into that a little further in the story. But also possibly, mis possibly wanting to misappropriate taxpayer funds in order to pursue a case that never should come to fruition because the governor has said it may take $50 million to pursue this prosecution. Now, we're in Missouri. The cost of living here is much less than it is on either coast. I sincerely doubt if any criminal prosecution costs $50 million in the state of Missouri. But let's go on. So that's the first story we're going to cover today. The second story um, deals with schools as well, and it deals with what I will call, in my opinion, a morally, cor morally corrupt legislator in Texas named Representative Steve Toth. Now, I can't say that Toth is legally corrupt because that really wouldn't be fair, but I can speak out on his, what I view as his moral corruption as someone who would shield white supremacists and neo-Nazis using the false equivalence argument because Toth was the original author of the new Texas law which censors teachers in terms of any civics or current events issues which counter the old white men are our saviors mean. So you've heard about that particular law where basically, uh, you know, it hit the main waves. Um, there was a rather stupid director of curriculum in this one school district that, you know, hit all the main things where she was basically saying, this is the one where she said, so if you're going to talk about how bad the Holocaust was, you have to have an equally opposing view. And then one of the teachers who were, you know, basically said, how in the world can you not oppose the Holocaust? I mean, it was just kind of crazy. You know, you're basically saying that you have to give a pro-Holocaust argument. That, that's essentially, essentially what she was saying. And this is really that old false equivalence argument. You know, Trump himself tried pushing it uh, in Charlottesville saying that, you know, there were good people on both sides. No, there weren't. There were people that were anti-fascist on one side, and then there were Nazis and white supremacists on the other. Pretty clear, actually. But when people know they're in the wrong, when they know they have an indefensible argument, they push this false equivalency thing. You know, Fox does it all the time where they say, fair and balanced. It's nonsense. There are, you know certain things that are fairly absolute, okay? We know murder is wrong. We know the Nazis were evil. We know the white supremacy is evil, okay? It's not rocket science. So we're going to be talking about that. And the reason I'm talking about Representative Toss is because he escaped. He evaded the, the scrutiny that Governor Abbott is receiving and, and that particular administrator in that school district. And... I don't think that Representative Toth should, should he be able to evade that scrutiny because he was the original author of the bill. 
and it is built around what can only be called dog whistle code, okay? Um, and so people need to, you know, understand what dog whistle code is, you know, is all about. Uh, so we're going to start in on that, but dog whistle code, just to give you an example here, um, there was a famous quote by the late Lee Atwater, and it, you know, I'm going to apologize for having to say something that's really offensive on air, namely the N-word, because I, I, I hate that word. I, I just viscerally hate it. But um, let me go to that quote really fast. Give me a second, folks. This is live, so give me a minute. Sorry about it. So those are the two stories we're going to be talking about today. And this is, give me a second here, the infamous Southern strategy quote. It's hideous, but he really explains what dog whistle code is about. And the reason it's called dog whistle is because, you know, if anybody's ever had a dog, you, you blow the whistle, it's at a tone so high that only a dog can hear it. Dog whistle code means this is language, politi usually politically charged language, that is coded so that on the surface it looks innocuous. It looks benign, like nothing wrong with it. But to the biggest it's aimed at, they know exactly what objectionable thing they're saying. So here's the Atwater quote. To quote, quote, you start out in 1954 by saying, nigger, 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 I apologize. By 1968, you can't say nigger, that hurts you, backfires. So you say stuff like uh, forced busing, states' rights, and all that stuff, and you're getting so abstract. Now you're talking about cutting taxes and all these things, and you're talking about our totally economic things, and a byproduct of them is blacks get hurt worse than whites. Quote, we want to cut this is much more abstract than even the busing thing uh, and a hell of a lot more abstract than nigger, nigger, end quote. This is the essence of what can only be called dog with code. And that's what Representative Steve Talk did. Uh, when I called just the other day and spoke to someone in his office, they became very enraged and said, this is about current events, read the bill. Well, I did read the bill. And it's, it is really a piece of garbage. So. Let's get to the first story, Governor Parsons and the, the alleged hack of teacher data that wasn't a hack. It was a major uh, case of gross incompetence by the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, the DESI in Missouri, and the governor. So this is actually an article from uh, a, a publication that specializes in uh, IT, in other words, in computer stuff. Uh, from TechCrunch. This was written by Carly Page, and the headline is, F12 isn't hacking. Missouri governor threatens to prosecute local journalists for finding exposed state data. So this was last week, and now everybody's talking about it. So Governor Parson got on the tube, and he's threatening to prosecute the St. Louis Post-Dispatch journalist named Josh Renaud, because Mr. Renaud reported what was a massive security lapse in the state's website at the DESI, the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Turns out, as I said before, the website was exposing, potentially, 
over 100,000 teachers' Social Security numbers. And it didn't take hacking. When they're saying F12, the Social Security numbers, and I'm reading straight from the article right now, were discovered, quote, by viewing the HTML source code of the site's web pages, allowing anyone with an Internet connection to find the sensitive information by right-clicking the page and hitting View Page Source. It goes on to say, quote, for many, viewing a web page source code is as simple as hitting F12 on your keyboard. So if you go to your keyboard, um, let's see now, that top skinny row, there is an F12 button. And most of us who aren't really computer knowledgeable, we don't know what that stuff is, but that's what it is. It's that simple. So the St. Louis Post-Dispatch reported this massive data breach uh, to state authorities so they could take down the website, patch it, fix it. The Post-Dispatch also delayed publishing the story to give the state enough time to fix the problem. So the Post acted totally responsibly. And the DESI uh, did confirm, and this is a court as documented by um, Missouri Gov Commissioner's Office News, uh, that, quote, the educator certification search tool was disabled immediately, end quote, and that the vulnerability is now fixed. Well, here's the thing. Is the vulnerability really fixed as the state does he claims? I would ask the commissioner, Ms. Van Dieven, that because if all they did was disable the educator certification search tool, then it hasn't been fixed. It's just, it's just the, the whole thing's been taken down. And then there's the question of what will the state of Missouri, how will the state of Missouri protect those 100,000 teachers in terms of any possible identity theft? Will, you know, when are they going to provide uh, and pay for identity theft protection for every single teacher and offer legal help if something does go wrong? That hasn't happened. Now, you would think by now that in a legitimate state government, they would go, who, thank you very much, Mr. Reporter, and they would just take care of it. Not Mr. Parson, no, no. You know, he called out the Post-Dispatch journalist as a hacker. And he said the newspaper discovered this flaw, quote, in an, in an attempt to embarrass the state. And then he goes on. Carson goes on to say, quote, a hacker is someone who gains unauthorized access to information or content. This individual did not have permission to do what they did. This individual is not a victim. They were acting against a state agency to compromise teachers' personal information in an attempt to embarrass the state and sell headlines to their news outlet, end quote. Oh, I'm sorry. Carson goes on to say, quote, the state is committed to bring to justice anyone who hacked our system and anyone who aided and abetted them to do so, end quote. Now, it's clear that Governor Parsons is not only, in my opinion, an idiot, he knows nothing about IT, even less than me. And I can barely send email. But there's too many computer people that have said this isn't hacking. I mean, again, you could just go to the top, like I'm looking at my laptop right now, and I'm looking at the keyboard, and there's this one skinny row on top. You'll say escape, 
F1, F2, F3, F4, F5, on through, and you see F12. That's all you have to do is hit F12. That's not hacking. That's gross incompetence and really endangering 100,000 teachers. If anything, those teachers should be allowed to sue the state of Missouri because this was gross incompetence, no doubt about it. But we'll go on. Turns out not all Republicans are total scum. There are some that will at least tell the truth. So Republican lawmaker Tony Lavasco uh, tweeted uh, the following, that it was, quote, clear the governor's office has a fundamental misunderstanding of both web technology and industry standard procedures for reporting security vulnerabilities. He added that journalists responsibly sounding an alarm on data privacy is not criminal hacking, end quote. This even drew the attention of a U.S. senator. Now, mind you, it didn't draw the attention of either Republican senator from Missouri. Josh Hawley has nothing to say about it. Roy Blunt has nothing to say about it, even though these are teachers in the state they represent. No, it was U.S. Senator Ron Wyden. He tweeted, quote, journalism isn't a crime. Cybersecurity research isn't either. Real leaders don't unleash their attack dogs on the press when they expose government failures. They roll up their sleeves and fix the problem, end quote. So now there's more. The cybersecurity industry weighs in on Parsons' stupid and dangerous rant. So Rachel Toback is a hacker, but also the CEO of a an IT security company called Social Proof Security. And Rachel Toback is well known in the IT industry and she tweeted, quote, if your code leaks personal data via public development tools that any person can see by simply pressing F12 on a keyboard, then you have a huge data leak issue, not a hacking situation on your hands, end quote. So the St. Louis Post-Dispatch also defended their journalist by saying, quote, that the journalist did not, I'm sorry, that the journalist, quote, did the responsible thing by reporting his findings to DESI so the state could act to prevent disclosure and misuse. They went on to say, quote, a hacker is someone who subverts computer security with malicious or criminal intent. Here, there was no breach of any firewall or security and certainly no malicious intent. For DESI to deflect its failures by referring to this as hacking is unfounded, end quote. But, you know, Governor Parson, his crusade against the journalists, looking more and more like crazy old Don Quixote chasing insane windmills but minus Don Quixote's actual morality. So Parson is vowing to hold the paper accountable, too, for the, quote, supposed crime of helping the state find and fix a security vulnerability. Now, legally speaking, the chance that Josh Renaud or the Post-Dispatch will actually face any sort of conviction on this is really slim. Apparently, there was a recent decision by the U.S. Supreme Court in a case, uh, let's see, Van Buren versus the United States. The Supreme Court ruled that a person violates the law when they access files or other information they would otherwise be unable to. But this was just a simple matter of pressing F12. Anyone can do it. It wasn't hacking. It was right there. 
you know, I've seen, there have been times when if I didn't have my glasses on because I'm blind at the bat and I was trying to type and I clicked F12 by mistake at the top of the keyboard instead of the plus sign for something and I got all this crazy code stuff. That's what it was, all right? So let's move on. The scary part about this is that this could have a very chilling effect on journalism. And I think that's really what Parson and the Republican Party are, are trying to do. It, be, it is a threat on journalism itself. It's a threat on security research. And so here you have Governor Parson acting like, you know, the old idiot from Dukes of Hazard, Boss Hogg, and it seems like that's what he wants. Uh, I looked some more on, I looked at a lot of different, um, you know, different publications that weren't strictly journalistic, but they were actually, you know, their, their particular um, ballywag was journalism about, you know, IT and computers and things like that. So I went to Gizmodo, and their headline was, Missouri Governor Wants to Prosecute Journalists for Warning that State Left Teachers Data Exposed. Missouri Governor Mike Parson claims he wants to legally punish a reporter who tried to alert the state to its bad data practices. And it was, this was written by Lucas Ropak. Okay, and, you know, scrolling down here, a lot of the same stuff. Um, what Parson did not count on was the rage of what's called InfoSec Twitter. InfoSec spelled I-N-F-O-S-E-C. And I'm not a computer person, so apparently this is a segment of Twitter that really is dedicated to the I, what I've been told is the IT industry. Those of you who don't know, IT is information technology, what we used to just call computer tech. So, there were a bunch of computer science experts that just were really livid, okay, um, you know, claiming that this is really about how the state doesn't know how to build websites. So here we go. Matt Blaze, who is a computer science researcher with Georgetown Law, settling, quote, don't encode social security numbers of people in the HTML of publicly available web pages. And if you do, don't call the cops if someone notices and quite responsibly warns you. Also, don't tweet stuff that makes you look like an idiot. Says a lot right there. Another tweet from software engineer and journalist Tony Webster. He said that Governor Parsons is, quote, threatening to prosecute a journalist who 100% did the ethical thing. Excuse me, end quote. And then he, Webster also knows that Renaud had engaged in what was considered, quote, the gold standard for reporting security failures, end quote. Here's a, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> a tweet from a technology fellow named Julian Sanchez from the Cato Institute, hardly a bastion of liberal thought. Cato Institute tech fellow Julian Sanchez said the, tweeted the following, quote, this is utterly ludicrous. Looking at HTML source is not hacking. Every web browser has a view source button. And if you've already accessed the source code of every web page you look at, I'm, I'm sorry, and you've already accessed the source code of every web page you look at, that's why the server sends you to the browser, exclamation point. Computer scientist Marcus Hutchins, who is considered a giant in the industry, tweeted the following 
he was referencing Parsons total lack of understanding regarding computers entirely. Quote, granted state and local government employees are not known for their advanced technological prowess, but unless there's a whole lot we're missing about this episode, Parsons seems to have really stepped in it. Even if the governor isn't super well versed in computer science, state governments also have IT departments with staff that should be able to explain to leaders how websites work and why a person like Renaud would probably be considered a helpful Good Samaritan, not a hacker. Now, according to the reporter from Gizmodo, uh, they reached, Gizmodo did reach out to the person in charge of Missouri Information Technology, Technology Services Division. They also reached out to the governor's office you know, to inquire about the incident, and they haven't received any sort of response yet. So we also have something, some details that emerged from another paper called the Missouri Independent. Now, this is written by Jason Hancock. And the headline is, Lawmaker Urges Missouri Governor to Finally Appoint Cybersecurity Commission. The push for Parson to act on legislation he signed in July came a day after he called for prosecution of a reporter who discovered a security issue with the state website. Now think about this for a minute, people. Take a minute, think about it. Missouri Governor Parson signed legislation this past July to appoint a cybersecurity commission. It's October now. July to October. It's been three months, and he still hasn't done anything. That's criminal malfeasance, in my opinion. So there were some different, um, again, they were Democrats. They were urging the governor. Democratic lawmaker urged the governor to appoint members of the Cybersecurity Commission that should have actually been appointed back in July when it was signed. Um, State Representative Ashley Ani, who's a Democrat from Kansas City, um, you know, basically said, quote, instead of attacking reporters, the governor needs to finally appoint members to the newly established Missouri Cybersecurity Commission, something he has neglected to do since he signed the bill establishing it earlier this year. Okay. Ani goes on to say, quote, let's get down to brass tacks. The Parson administration stored the sensitive, private, personally identifiable information of nearly 100,000 Missouri teachers on a public website. And it could easily be accessed by anyone with even a basic knowledge of the internet. That's a terrifying fact. This fiasco perfectly illustrates why Missouri needs to get serious about confronting 21st century cyber threats. I mean, think about it, people. How would you feel? if your job uh, did the same thing and made your social security number vulnerable. Think about that real hard for a minute. This isn't about partisanship, this is about competence, or rather a lack of competence on Governor Parsons' part. There was another state rep, Phil Cristofanelli, who is a Republican from St. Peter's, um, who, basically reacted, basically looked back to a previous scandal 
involving Parson where his administration removed an LGBTQ history exhibit from the State Capitol Museum. And then they moved, after public outcry, the exhibit was moved to the Lowman Building, which doesn't get many visitors. And he joked and said, quote, there's a simple fix here. Uh, let's just move all the Department of Education Social Security numbers over to the Lowman Building so no one can ever find them again. But Democrats are worried that the prosecution of a journalist is not only misguided, it is dangerous. Senator Lauren, Ar Ar excuse me, Senator Lauren Arthur, who's a Democrat from Kansas City, said the following, quote, it smells a little fascist when a reporter identifies the mistake, alerts the administration, and the governor threatens them with prosecution in return. I agree. Senator Greg Razor, Democrat of Kansas City, called out really an abuse of power on the governor's part. Teak was quoted as saying, quote, also it's very embarrassing to call this a hack. Moral of the story, Missouri is not adequately invested in IT infrastructure. But he also called this out as an abuse of power. And it is. There's more though. From the Daily Swig, which apparently is another IT publication. Uh, I, I've learned a lot just doing this story. Uh, this is a piece written by Adam Bannister. The headline is, Missouri Governor Criticized for Confusing Vulnerability Disclosure with Criminal Hacking. Politicians' accusations unleash torrent of criticism and snarky memes from incredulous infosec pros. Okay. So Missouri Office of Administration Information Technology Services Division. Okay, this is the this is the office supposed to be in charge of basically IT for all the government agencies. According to this article, they disabled um, what they call the vulnerable tool. In other words, they disabled the DESI, that part of the DESI website. And that's what's used by local education agencies to verify educators' certifications. Um, and they also say they fixed the vulnerability. I don't see any proof of that. <clears throat> um, but once again, you know, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch responded. Um, their attorney, Joseph Martineau, said, quote, the reporter did the responsible thing by reporting his findings to DESI so that the state could act to prevent disclosure and misuse and that there was no breach of any firewall or security and certainly no malicious intent. And yet Parsons still wants to prosecute. He wants to burn that journalistic witch. And that's what this is. This is a witch hunt on Governor Parsons' part. Okay? So Governor Parson was quoted as saying, quote, an individual access source code and then went a step further to convert and decode that data in order to obtain Missouri teachers' personal information. Um, this data was not, was not freely available and by the actors on the mission, the data had to be taken through eight separate steps in order to generate a social security number, end quote. Except that's a lie. There's no eight separate steps. All you have to do is go all you had to do was go to the DESI website, look up a teacher, press F12, booyah, there were the social security numbers. I count two steps, I don't count eight. And again, source code is not encrypted, it's just right there. There's nothing mysterious about it. So not only did Governor Parson tell a lie, he told another incredibly stupid lie. So. 
And again, they, basically they quoted Rachel Toback again, who is a prominent U.S.-based hacker and InfoSec educator. And that was as documented by portswigger.net. And Rachel Toback basically said the journalist's actions didn't take any special technical skills at all. She tweeted the following, uh, once again, quote, if your code leaks personal data via public development tools that any person can see by simply pressing F12 on a keyboard, then you have a huge data leak issue, not a hacking situation on your hands. Fix your website. That's it. Toback went on to say, this per quote, this person, in other words, the reporter, this person reported a vulnerability, a big data leak issue that anyone could see, and took time out of their day to report it to keep people safe. Changes were made to protect data, and now they want to slap that person with criminal charges? Absolutely not. Ben Gers, uh, founder of an InfoSec firm called Guadero, tweeted, quote, this is more than a security blunder at Governor Parsons Mo. Your web developers encoded without encryption social security numbers and displayed them openly on the web. You have a massive data breach here. You need to engage a competent incident response firm and legal counsel immediately, end quote. That last statement's incredibly important. Just claiming that Okay, we took the information down, everything's fine, nothing to see here, not enough. There were potentially 100,000 teachers whose social security numbers were exposed. And so what, Gertz, what Ben Gertz said is right on the money. Instead of wanting to spend $50 million of taxpayer money on an illegitimate political prosecution, you need to spend some of that money on an incident response firm and legal counsel to protect the identities of every one of those teachers. So in other words, identity theft protection, and if they run into a problem, the state of Missouri pays for it. That's it. Now, there is a statement from the chief information officer for the state of Missouri. He's a man named Jeff Wine. He quoted, and this is his statement, quote, all similarly situated public-facing systems were evaluated for this vulnerability and no other instances were found. OAITSD said a number of vulnerability scans conducted since the 2011 launch of the vulnerable tool did not yield any concerns or potential threats. DESI sought to downplay the scope of the vulnerability, saying these records were only accessible on an individual basis and said the state is unaware of any, of any misuse on individual information or even whether information was accessed inappropriately outside of this isolated incident. Desi said the state would make every effort to contact potentially affected educators to share information about the next steps, end quote. That's what we're dealing with here in Missouri, people. And now Governor Parsons wants to commit 50 million with an M, $50 million to investigate and prosecute this reporter, okay? In fact, he had the gall 
to go on the record, and Governor Parson said, quote, we will not let this crime against Missouri teachers go unpunished, end quote. But the crime against Missouri teachers was his administration's fault, period. It was their incompetence that caused the problem, nothing else. And yet, Governor Parson is basically all about blaming somebody else. He's true to his Trumper roots, and, and Parson is a Trump idiot. Make no mistake about it. All right. Um, so we're going to move on here, okay? Yeah. Got a little problem here, folks. Um, so Governor Parson is estimating that this incident alone may cost the state $50 million. And he's also contacted the Cole County prosecutor to demand that the Cole County prosecutor pursue criminal charges. He also contacted the Missouri Highway Patrol's digital forensic unit as if they're competent to handle it. Now, I email, I first I found the Cole County prosecutor and they gave me the email of the lead prosecutor and I sent him an email basically asking him two questions. One, you know, isn't this a political prosecution? And two, where's Governor Parson going to get the 50 million for? But Parson is just determined to pass the buck. You know, with all the sanctimony of a church lady, Parson went on to say, quote, we will not rest until we clearly understand the intentions and why they were targeting Missouri teachers, end quote. Now, the president of Kansas City Federation of Teachers, Jason Roberts, did issue a statement. To quote Jason Roberts, quote, I find the details of the investigative reporting conducted by the St. Louis Post-Dispatch to be troubling. The negligence on the part of the state and the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education is unacceptable. The governor and the state need to act in a way that will ensure protection for school staff at all levels. This is unacceptable, and the governor needs to own it, end quote. We'll see. We're going to be following this story some more because, you know, once again, I was a teacher in Missouri for 30 years. So I'm among those 100,000. And this is an instance where... Two big issues are here. Three, actually. One, the state of Missouri failed to protect data with reckless incompetence on the state of Missouri's part, on the part of the Missouri DESI, and also on the part of the governor, and on the part of his IT director. That's number one, and especially on the part of the governor because, again, they signed a law in July. He signed a law in July establishing a cybersecurity commission and he has yet to impanel it. Nobody is on the panel yet. No one's on the commission. And I'm assuming then also that he has put forth no budget for it either. The second problem with this is that this is a political prosecution. Governor Parson, in true Trumpist fashion, true Trumpian fashion, 
wants to go after journalists for the crime of journalism, period. Every major person in the IT industry has said, this isn't hacking, all right? You could have done it yourself. You could have gone to the Missouri Desi, looked up an individual teacher, and then gone to the top skinny row, the top of your keyboard, press F12, booyah, there it is. This is a political prosecution, and now the governor is talking about what, to me, looks like it could be mis criminal misappropriation of taxpayer funds to pursue a political prosecution. So now we need to see what the Cole County prosecutor intends to do. I suspect he won't pursue it because their office was already tired by the time I called, but we'll see. Because if the Cole County prosecutor does pursue it, then we're going to have some serious questions for him as well. Okay, <clears throat> let's move on to our second story. This one comes from Texas. <laughs> it's about schools also, but this deals with censorship in our public schools. Okay. Give me a second, folks. No water here. Mm. So, there was a piece from Newsweek written by Ayla Lisko. The headline is, Outrageous Texas School District Considers Holocaust Denial Books in Response to Anti-Racism Crackdown. So this ties in with all these uh, Republican-led states, as well as school boards that are having a hissy fit. You know, they're against critical race theory. So for all those morons in Republican states that are getting their, getting their panties up in a wad over critical race theory, first of all, critical race theory isn't taught in K through 12. Critical race theory is a theory taught in law school, period. It's taught in law school. But this is really about denial. This is about school boards, parents, Republican governors, Republican legislatures that are embracing the growing white supremacy and what can only be called neo-Nazism in the country. So anything that tears at their sense, oh, we have a caller. Well, I, I'm, I don't know what to do with this. Maybe I'll click on it. Who is this person? I have no idea this person. Hello, you're on the air. Yes, how are you? I'm fine. Uh, I don't need to take calls. Oh well, if you don't want to take a call, you you know you, I don't have to hang on. But I was going to make a comment. Go ahead. On uh, you know, the state of Missouri has a, a statute that applies to education. And mm -hmm. It basically reads. It basically reads that the curriculum, textbooks, and instruction material mm -hmm. cannot be mandated by the state board of education, nor DESI, Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Whatever it is, it's up to the district itself, i.e. the parents. Mm -hmm. So if the parents don't want their children exposed to something, that's their prerogative. If the parents well, don't want their children exposed to certain books in the library, that's their mm -hmm. prerogative. Actually, sir, we, as a former teacher, 
And like I said, I don't normally take calls. As a former teacher, there is such a thing as academic freedom. And if we ventured to follow what you're claiming, then we would be pursuing a very narrow curriculum. So any anti-racism situation, curriculum wouldn't be taught. You'd be teaching Holocaust denial. So, and, and seriously, I entertained you, but this is not the kind of show that you call in for comments. So thank you. All Goodbye. right. Well, I'm hanging up. Thank you. I can see no, no voice freedom here. No, it's just you're taking my time. Okay. So sorry, folks, talking about that. Uh, as I was explaining to the caller, and I usually don't take calls, we pay for this airtime. And so many people are used to the, um, what do you call it, basically being able to throw in their comments without taking any consideration that they're not paying for this airtime. All right? Now, normally, I'm fine with taking comments, but then if I do take comments, I say at the beginning of the show, we will take comments within the last 10 minutes or so. But, again, I'm not going to let somebody monopolize the time when I'm getting through the stories for time that our station has paid for. That takes a lot of nerve. And it's not about freedom, as I said before, as a former teacher of some 30 years. There is such a thing as academic freedom. And while school boards, yes, can have some say in it, Parents have the mistaken idea that they can censor anything that's taught in school. And the fact is that's not the role of the school board, truth be told. School board is supposed to handle budgetary issues and things of that nature, hiring a superintendent. But the determination of curriculum and the determination of all sorts of things that are actually taught that deal with the, the actual pursuing of what's called pedagogy, is dependent on the professional staff. Because if we allowed school boards, if we allowed every parent to dictate what will be taught in schools, very little would be taught. That's the problem. If a parent has a problem with basically teaching the true history of this nation, which is Columbus pursued a genocide, he wasn't a good guy, which is, yes, this this land, this country was built on slavery and on racism. It was an economic thing and an evil thing, that the Holocaust was real. If they have problems with that, then we couldn't teach real history at all. So I realize that there are conservatives out there that have a problem with academic freedom, and they are certainly welcome to send their children to private school. But this particular issue right now coming out of Texas and heading everywhere else is about censorship in our schools. It's about the idea that really it's a false equivalence argument. You know, as Trump said during Charlottesville, this idea that, well, there were good people on both sides. No, there weren't. And we know right now that there was a big furor about the one correct curriculum director in Texas who was trying to interpret this new law. And she was saying, so if you're going to teach about the Holocaust, then you have to have an opposition side as well, which is basically saying that you have to include Holocaust denial books 
it was talking about the Holocaust. And you have to include then a slavery denial book or an apologist stands for slavery in conjunction with the actual history. That's pure nonsense. That is saying that you can't tell the truth. So a, a Texas school district, you know, we know that Republican Governor Greg Abbott signed this bill, all right? And we know that NBC News played this recording where this administrator, a curriculum administrator from the Carroll Independent School District was caught on tape. Her name's Gina Petty. And she was, you could hear her in saying that, quote, to try to remember the concepts of the new law um, while planning their lessons. And then she tells the teachers that, quote, if they have a book on the Holocaust, they should also include a book that is opposing views or other perspectives, end quote. All right, speaking as somebody who is a Jew, who lost family in the Holocaust, there are no other perspectives. The Nazis filmed everything. They murdered 6 million Jews and on total 11.5 million other people. There is no other perspective. And the same goes for the evil of slavery. The South built incredible wealth on the backs of black slaves. There's no other perspective here. So this gentleman that called up had the audacity to call and then complain that it wasn't free speech. Well, no, sir, it's not. Our network is paying for this time. So that, no, we don't have to let the peanut gallery monopolize our time. This isn't Fox. We actually report news. And I take offense because we actually do welcome free speech. But once again, we're paying for this time. So, no, I'm not going to let somebody monopolize the time that we pay for. That's ludicrous. So this is an important thing because this is about white supremacy covering up the crimes of slavery, the crimes of systemic racism, and also the crimes of anti-Semitism, the crimes of the Holocaust. One of the reasons why 6 million Jews died during the Holocaust, even though they had relatives here in the United States that could have sponsored them, that wanted to sponsor them, is because of the Immigration Act of 1917 that limited immigration because at that time, Jews were considered also people of color. That's history. Now, we have Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, tweeting, quote, there's a reason white supremacy attacks history, opposition to teaching bigotry's history and where it leads, from the slave trade to the Holocaust, is about erasing society's tools to recognize prejudice and prevent atrocity. Holocaust denial has no place in our society, none. Bernice King, who is the youngest child of the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., tweeted, quote, this is horrible. The opposing perspectives that downplay or deny the evil ideology behind and the devastation of the Holocaust are one, deception, two, Nazism, three, fascism. Children should be taught that these perspectives are inhumane. Character education matters, end quote. So, historian Kevin M. Cruz tweeted something rather uh, um, 
rather uh, sarcastic, quote, congrats to Governor Abbott on signing a law that has teachers terrified and that led school administrators to suggest they give a both sides approach to the Holocaust. Just amazing work, end quote. Uh, Senator Chris Murphy, Democrat from Connecticut, tweeted, quote, so let me get this straight. The non-existent threat of critical race theory has caused Texans to mandate the teaching of Holocaust denial? This seems to be getting a little out of hand, end quote. Christopher Haar, who is an attorney and former aide to Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, tweeted, quote, my grandparents survived the Holocaust. They watched their friends and families get murdered. There is no opposing view, end quote. Author Neil Gaiman tweeted, quote, so if Texas teaches books that oppose the Holocaust, they also need Mein Kampf on their school bookshelf. Are just books to say the Jews deserved it? End quote. Michael McKean, who's an actor and comedian, tweeted, quote, just to be clear, the school administrator in South Lake, Texas, wasn't promoting books that support the Holocaust, just wanted to claim it didn't happen. End quote. They're not monsters. End quote. One of the ways that you prevent the truth from coming out is by censoring the full history. For those of you that are interested in the full history, I recommend A People's History of the United States, written by the late Dr. Howard Zinn. Zinn taught at Boston University, among others. So, Governor Abbott's taken a lot of heat for this, and he deserves to share responsibility for the obvious stance of racism and racism and Holocaust denial. And it's using language of dog whistle politics, which again spawns in the lap of GOP operative, the late Lee Atwater, and I read that quote at the beginning. The mainstream media ignored the actual lead sponsor of this law, the original author who is Texas State Representative Steve Toth. Now, Mr. Toth is a small business owner. He represents South Montgomery County in the Texas House of Representatives. His background is in business consulting and construction. He's been quoted in the Houston Chronicle business section, yada, yada, yada. His, he and his wife currently run My Pool Expert, which is a pool service company. He's also an ordained minister. That's interesting. Apparently, he doesn't have a problem with anti-Semitism then. I don't know. Anyway, Toth also has been a contributor on the following, KTRH, and then several other sites that are notorious for pursuing racist, misogynist, homophobic, and anti-Semitic um, memes using dog whistle code, OAN, Newsmax, and Fox. Okay. So notice how he's been a contributor to some of the most rapid broadcasts in, in existence, all right? And all three, Fox News, OAN, and Newsmax, pursue, routinely push this denialist stance using, once again, the language of dog whistle politics. And I believe in giving credit where credit's due, and Toth is the chief sponsor of the bill that became law. Now, I called his office in Austin and spoke to someone, and after I expressed my concern with a law that grants really false equivalence, not false credibility, to what can only be called pro-racist and pro-Nazi sentiments in the name of discussing current events, the young man yelled at me to read the bill. 
his condescension was dripping with contempt as he claimed the law wasn't giving equal time to racists and neo-Nazis, that it was just about current events. So I read the law, and I found key phrases which, frankly, grant a blanket permission slip to those who would use this false equivalence argument as a way to disguise what is clearly racist denialism and Holocaust denialism. And the key phrase that I found, and I'm not a lawyer, is this one clause, clause two. Quote, teachers who choose to discuss current events or widely debated and currently controversial issues of public policy or social affairs shall, to the best of their ability, strive to explore such issues from diverse and contending perspectives without giving deference to any perspective. How do you discuss slavery, the evil, the clear evil of slavery, without giving deference to a particular side? It's called facts. You have to tell the facts. And the facts were that starting in the 1600s, black people were violently kidnapped from their lands abused. Some didn't make the trip across the ocean and then enslaved. They had their children torn out from their limbs. They were treated worse than property, and they were property. And even after they received their alleged freedom, then racist policies took over. How can you not give deference to the truth that racism is evil? that slavery is evil, that the Holocaust was evil. How can you not give deference to the fact in terms of the Holocaust, 11.5 million people were brutally murdered by the Nazi war machine. Six million were Jews. How can you not give deference to the fact that the Nazis filmed everything? How can you not give deference to the fact that some of these people were just shoved into furnaces, killed that way. How can you not give deference to the fact that in both instances, both in terms of slavery and racist codes, and also in terms of Holocaust, the Holocaust, parents were begging their children to shoot them so that the Nazis or the slavers wouldn't shoot their children? How can you not give deference? The idea of not giving deference to any perspective, that's basically saying, we can't tell the truth. But, again, Steve Toss and other Republicans used uh, the very sneaky and dishonest language of dog whistle politics to get away with this. Okay? So, you know, it's fun to blame Governor Abbott as well as the district, district curriculum director but Representative Steve Toss should not escape blame. After all, his name is authored in the House bill and only his name on the document that went on to become the law. So, excuse me, this started out as HB House Bill 3979. Um, excuse me. Um, got to take another drink here. Sorry, folks. The sole author of HB 3979 was Representative Steve Toss. It's there. I downloaded it. 
That became SB3, and it controls and limits the free speech and ideas of teachers and students and state agency employees. That parent that called was basically saying that school boards can curtail or censor their teachers. And it's not true. So this really affects everything. This prohibits instruction and discussions about certain concepts that, yes, relate to crimes against different parts of our society. That includes race, sex, diversity, discrimination. It limits discussion in social studies, history, government, and civics courses. Now, right now, I am reading from a group called IDRA. Okay? My computer just froze on me. Hold on a second, folks. I have a lot of information here. Um, educators won't be able to teach their students or encourage participation and learning. The fact is this. Without academic freedom for your teachers, you can't really have an educational process. Students will be uh, told that they are forbidden to fully explore and engage in certain topics. And to me, that says we want to make sure that our children get used to being psychologically subjugated. And this is very dangerous. B3, which again was originally talked, still became SB3 in the Senate. It discourages teachers from discussing current events. Um, it prohibits students from receiving course credit for participation in activities that encourage civic engagement. It prohibits important school-wide training for teachers, administrators, and so on, especially on issues of race, gender diversity, and inclusion practices and so on and so forth, okay? So let's, this is really whitewashing the truth in school, okay? So let's go on here. Again, this is from IDRA, and IDRA is a non-for-profit known as the Intercultural Development Research Association. They want to achieve equal educational opportunity for all children, and they're committed to um, basically an asset-based philosophy, respecting the knowledge and skills of individuals and building on the strengths of students and parents. Their professional staff members are fluent and literate in English and Spanish. They have many years of classroom, administrative, and community engagement experience. They have graduate degrees, masters, and doctorates from respected universities. They are skilled trainers accustomed to designing and implementing top-notch workshops. They are led, well, first of all, ITRA was founded in 1973 by Dr. Jose A. Cardenas. Um, today, ITRA is directed by Selena Moreno, J.D., meaning she's an attorney. And, um, you know, this is what the president and CEO of IDRA has to say about Senate Bill 3, which was the final version and derived from HB 3979, which was authored by Representative Steve Toth. Quote, Texas continues to enact laws that whitewash curriculum and harm students. 
but our coalition of incredible Texas students, teachers, and families who have opposed these bills for months and similar efforts to silence communities of color for generations is more determined than ever to continue the fight. SB3, which will replace HB3979 once the governor signs it, newsflash he did, he signed it, removes social, I'm sorry, removes social studies learning standards about communities of color and women. It expands many of the prohibitions in the law that limit the discussion of topics concerning bias and systemic discrimination in schools. Under SB3, these prohibitions will now apply not only to social studies classes, but to all K-12 courses, including ethnic studies. For a full breakdown of SB3, you can look at the explainer from the Texas Legislative Education Equity Coalition. Uh, Moreno added, quote, despite these laws, we must continue to teach the truth. This work must be done through authentic student and family engagement, educator training, and persistent policy advocacy. So now I have some information. Okay. And this is from the Texas Legislative Education Equity Coalition about SB3, okay, and what it really does. It is not just about current events, okay. Texas newest classroom censorship bill, SB3. So SB3 took the place of House Bill 3979. 3979 was authored by Representative Steve Toss, whose name has evaded public scrutiny till now. And I will be writing more about Steve Toss, most likely in BuzzFlash, and I'll let you guys know. But that became SB3. Governor Abbott signed it, so now it is law. The Texas Education Agency will outline guidance for schools soon. And there are several points. One, it restricts classroom learning in all K through 12 courses. So SB3 expands harmful restrictions in its precursor, HB3979, to all courses, kindergarten through 12th grade. That includes electives, as well as courses in African-American and Mexican-American studies courses. So they found a way to get rid of those courses this way. And it does so because it prohibits teachers from discussing certain topics related to racism, bias, and historical facts about, like, for instance, the founding of the United States, and it restricts how teachers discuss important controversial events and issues. That's that you have to have um, basically this, you know, you have to allow that false equivalence which is nonsense. Number two, it removes requirements to learn about diverse communities. And it does. It strips most of the requirements that Texas students learn about the histories and contributions of black, indigenous, Latinx people and women in social studies. And this is really very, very destructive to children. You know, if you grow up and you don't see any important people that look like you or your family, you start to think that you're lesser than. And this affects a child's educational and career trajectory very much so. And that's, it's intended to. This, is, this has very cruel intent. That cruelty is the purpose. Point number three. Uh, this prohibits students from earning course credit for civic engagement. So it bars students from earning credit 
from being involved in civic activities. Number four, prohibit schools from using private funding for important programming. So not only are they censoring them, but if you, let's say, the school board doesn't pay for it, you still can't bring it in. SB3 prohibits schools from using private funding for programming on curriculum, training, or professional development if it relates to race, racism, sexism, diversity, equity, and inclusion. If you don't call it censorship, then you don't know what censorship is. It's censorship. Number five, SB3 requires schools to give parents login credentials, okay? So that they have access to any learning management system. Um, once again, as a longtime teacher, I have no problems with parents dropping by, seeing what's going on. That's fine. But they don't have a right to interfere. And as a former teacher, no. My, right, my First Amendment rights to free expression, to academic freedom, did not stop the minute I obtained my credential and crossed the schoolroom door. Six, it creates a civics training program for educator compliance. So the program has to be developed with a nine-member advisory board appointed by the Texas Commissioner of Education for teachers and school administrators to learn how to comply with the restrictions of the law. Okay, so again, big brother looking over their shoulder. Number seven, it restricts teacher training. Prohibits school employees from training other school employees on certain topics related to racism, bias, and historical facts about the founding of the United States, even though it's the truth. Number eight, creates vague rules about treatment of student conduct. So SB3 limits schools from making or interpreting rules that punish students for reasonably discussing certain topics, but it doesn't define what type of student speech is reasonable and what type of student speech may be punished. You know what this sounds like to me? It sounds like little racists can tell lies, racist lies all they want, and a teacher can't stop them. But then if a kid decides to speak up and tell the truth about racism, they will be punished. And the last time I checked, the last time there was this much censorship in school, it came from the Third Reich. And that's not hyperbole, people. Number nine, this creates TEA enforcement power. That's the Texas Education Agency. And basically, that education agency gets to be a dictator. So when that man calls in and talks about school boards, he's wrong, okay? They're going to control it all. And 10, it clarifies no private right to sue teachers. I have no idea what that means. All right. What I will say is this. To put this bluntly, this is about white supremacists and neo-Nazis terrified that their children will learn the truth about slavery and its role in the founding and building wealth in this country. You know, there's a reason why white slave owners did not want to give up their slaves. That was free, um, free labor. The white plantation owners earned uh, fortunes that were basically the 1800s equivalent for those times of someone like a Jeff Bezos or an Elon Musk. This was about money. We could get people 
to treat them like dirt, treat them like animals, work them to death, and never have to pay them, and we will get even more wealth. And then the racism that pursued after the slaves were emancipated, telling the truth about it. This is about the neo-Nazis in our midst that are Holocaust denialists. This goes hand in hand with the white supremacy and neo-Nazism that we see pervading through the GOP of Trump. There is no other thing you can say about it. And this is about censoring our schools so that education will not happen, just mere training, to get a docile population that is so psychologically subjugated that they will never fight for their rights. And as for this, we have to have opposing views nonsense. There is no credibility to those who would defend slavery. There is no credibility to those who would defend systemic racism and other abuses. There is no credibility to those who would defend systemic misogyny or homophobia. And as a Jew, there is no credibility to those who would defend Holocaust denialism and neo-Nazism. And Representative Toth, who authored the original HD 3979, which went on to become this law, doesn't have any right to evade scrutiny. He used the language of dog whistle politics to make it look on the surface like we are just talking about, you know, all presenting all perspectives. But when you are censoring your teachers, you are not presenting multiple perspectives. You're censoring them. And they use the language of dog whistle code to disguise what is clearly a white supremacist and neo-Nazi agenda, period. You know, I've said for many years that as a teacher, there is nothing more politically subversive than giving somebody not only the gift of literacy, but the gift of being able to critically read and analyze. And I will never apologize for that. I celebrate that. I celebrate the idea that, yes, what we do as teachers, when we encourage digging for the truth, we are encouraging democracy. And, yes, it is politically subversive to those who would enslave the rest of us. And we will continue in that endeavor. As for the white supremacists and neo-Nazis in Texas, They started this war, but we're going to finish it. With that, I say good night and God bless.